have a dream here at Anchor Church. We believe in what God has called us to. We're faithfully uh, walking it out by His grace. We're able to just continue on every week. We just keep building and we keep moving forward and we keep seeing lives changed and we keep trusting God and walking with God and um, it involves all of us. And you know when this thing picks up momentum is when more and more people realize that they're actually a part of the story. As long as it's just a select few or a small group, it'll always remain small. But when people are switched on to the fact that what God has called us to do and God's dream for our church and God's dream for our city isn't something that we sit by passively and watch happen. When we see the church, when we read about the church in, in the first century in Acts and, and uh, those early believers, we see that there was an activation that happened with every single believer from the greatest to the least, from the youngest to the oldest. Doesn't matter where they came from, doesn't matter what their background was, doesn't matter what their ethnic group was, it doesn't matter what part of the world they came from, every single person was included in that story. And our heart and our prayer for Heart for the House in 2018 uh, is that we will all realize that each one of us have been called, that every single one of us have got this opportunity to play a part, this opportunity to contribute, this opportunity to be a part of something bigger than ourselves and to have God's dream be our dream. When God dreamt up this dream, He included you. Your face was in the dream. Your face was in the dream. And God has equipped each of us uniquely. We're all different in our spiritual giftings, in our personalities, in our capacities, and in the way that God has put us together. That's part of what our uh, Discover Your Destiny course is about. It's about you uh, finding out what your design is because your design reveals your destiny. And it's a clue to the way that God has put you together. He's put you together for a purpose. And so much of us spend so much of our time, so many of us spend so much of our time wishing that we were somebody else so that we could do the things that they do. Have you ever done that? You just like watch somebody that's really just killing it in an area or is just really great at leadership or is just really great at a certain aspect of life and you're like, I wish I was less like me and more like them because then I could be more successful in that area like them. But God doesn't want you to be successful in other people's spheres. He wants you to be who you are and be successful and, and live out the fullest of, of the capacity that He has given you as the person that He has made you to be. And so we are pursuing this dream that God has given us and talking about Heart for the House, talking about 2019. This is really an exciting season for us every year as we get to October, November, and, and we just dream together. We, we dream about the future, and we, we're currently fasting and praying, and, and, and I feel like God has been inviting us, all of us, to dream bigger than ever before. There's literally an invitation from the Holy Spirit going, Anchor Church, will you dream? Anchor Church, will you believe? Will you be activated? Will you step up? Will you be involved? Will you, will you follow me as I lead you into the future that I have for you? And I feel like that is what the Holy Spirit is encouraging us, each one of us, to do. And I feel like it would be absolutely impossible for us to realize that dream and walk in that dream unless we do it together. This is really the time where maybe when you're starting out, you've got some team members and people come and people go. And, but what God is doing right now is He is setting up pillars for the house. At this time, we're, we're still a young church, three years old, and, and this is a time where God is saying that I am sending people, I am building people, I'm giving them the courage, I'm giving them the faith, I'm giving them the, the ability to stand and to carry weight. That's what a pillar does, to be a weight-bearing wall in the house that actually holds things up and makes room for others makes space for people to have family, to have, to have restoration, to have unity, to, to be a part of building the house rather than so many who would like to break it down. And I feel like we're gonna, God is building a big spirit in all of us, but a big unity in us as a group as we move forward and as we take hold of that. And so we need to be expectant, church, expectant about how God is going to use you, use your life, use our church in this city and uh, we see that in the Bible, whenever God wanted to do something significant, it started with a dream. He would start by, by giving somebody a dream in the night or a vision during the day or a, or a, or a, a sense or a calling or, a, or, or speaking to them audibly. He would, he would give them this, 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 this experience of knowing that there is something more. 
that God is now taking you from just living an earthly life where you just go through the motions and you just do what you need to do in order to survive and you just wake up in the morning and you go to work and you do your job, you get your salary at the end of the month. God is taking us from this uh, uh, you know, realm of just existing to being actually plugged into something eternal, to being plugged into a bigger purpose, a, a higher calling, a deeper meaning for all of us. And do you know how few people find that in life? You know, the privilege that we have to be a part of something like this, where we can give of ourselves to something that has eternal value. I remember sitting with a couple of guys that I played touch rugby with in the bar one evening, just kind of hanging out with them, and every now and again, I'll take an opportunity just to talk into their lives, and, um, and so we were kind of hanging out, and we were speaking for a while, and, and, uh, and, and at one point, we started talking about purpose, and I asked them just a simple question, two young guys, I said, do you guys know what the purpose of your life is? And they both looked at each other and they were like, actually, no, we have no idea. And I, for me, it's such a foreign concept. I cannot fathom being in a space where you are giving your energy, where you're giving your time, where you're spending your money, but you have no ultimate goal. You don't actually know what any of it means, whether it actually matters or not, whether it's making a difference or not, whether it, whether it, it, it is part of something bigger or not. It's just one day after the next. That's what life looks like when we plug out of God's supernatural vision for our lives and purpose for our lives. When you forget that when you were created in Psalm 139, it says that before you were even formed, God knew you. And where it says that, that every one of your days was ordained before there was even one of them. And where it tells us in Ephesians 2 that God has created good works for us beforehand. We are His workmanship uh, created for good works that he has prepared for us beforehand. There are things that God wants us to walk in. And he gives us the opportunity right here, right now. It's not in the future. It's not uh, some other time. It's not, you know, some people have dreams, but then they do nothing about those dreams. They don't step up. They don't make a change. They don't write down a plan. They don't, they don't even give any part of themselves to it. And so how many of you here this morning have bucket lists? Right, we, uh, many of you, even if, even if it's just in your mind, you haven't actually written it down, but I have a bucket list that I, that I wrote down and, and uh, just things that you want to do. What, what do you want to, to experience in your life and, and what do you want to see? And there's, there's things that I wrote down there from things as easy as, as catching a tiger fish on the Zambezi. I spent a whole day there like last month and everybody on the boat caught like four of them. I caught none, so it's still on my bucket list. And, um, and so... You know, from stuff like that to being able to be a part of a move of God in our nation. And we have these, these bucket list things. One of them that's probably the most unrealistic on my list right now is to see my six-pack again. Um, it's been a long, long time. And, and uh, so I put it down on there. But how many of you know I can have that on there for as long as I want? If I don't go to gym, it's not going to happen. If I don't change how I eat, or if I don't change something about my activity, if I don't change something about my life, in other words, if I don't put a plan of action to the dream, it's just wishful thinking. And when it comes to the dream that God has for our lives, He, is, he gives us the dream, but He calls us to step up and to believe for what He has and to actually do something about it. And so we really, really, really uh, are wanting to encourage people to not be spectators, but to be contributors, to not be people who hear about a dream and maybe even agree with the dream, but people who build the dream. The dream needs to be built. The dream needs to be pursued. The dream needs to be chased. There's uh, uh, hard work and, and sweat and sleepless nights and, and, and a price to pay for the dream. And when you're paying that price and, and some days it feels like you're smashed and some days you feel like you can't go on any longer and some days it feels like it's never going to happen but you still feel that God is with you and you still feel like you're in the fight, I'm telling you, you'll feel more alive than you've ever felt in your entire life. You can go sit on a comfortable couch in your home with a cup of tea and you can do that for the rest of your life. You'll never feel as alive as when you're in the fight for something that matters. We want to be in the fight for something that matters. We want to give our hearts. We want to give our souls. And so God gives us the dream. The dream is God's dream. And he gives it to us, and it becomes our dream. He did it with Abraham. He did it with Jacob. He did it with Joseph. He did it with Cornelius and Peter and John and so many others. Because in essence, these dreams are God's dreams. And when we say we have a dream, we have the dream that God has for us. And like a dream, it's still unfolding. It's still developing. And, and we realize that we haven't even begun to dream. Our church, we've often said, 
um, doesn't have a vision as much as God's vision has a church. God has the vision. God has the dream. And we're here because of his dream. Do you think that, you realize if you think back to, to when God created the earth, he had a dream. And that dream was to walk in relationship with people. And so he created us for the, for the purpose of relationship, to, to be their God and them to be his people. And so what did God do? He created a world within which his dream could exist. And when God built this church and put it together and, and authored it and gave it life, birthed this church, it's because he had a dream. He was creating an atmosphere, a platform, an area, a sphere where lives could be changed. And then he invites us in as co-workers and he says, will you build with me? We're going we're to change lives in this city. We're going to see hearts touched in the city. We're going we're gonna to see miracles happen, but this is the platform for the miracle and it came out of God's heart and we're the privileged ones who get to be a part of building it and seeing it come to pass. And so we said last week that a dream from God is a message from his heart. When he gives us a dream, it's a message. It's a statement of intent. This is something that God is going to do using us. He's saying, hey, Anchor Church, I'm going to do this. And through all of those people he gave dreams in the Bible too, he said, I'm going to do this. It's a statement of God's intent, but then it's also a promise. It's a promise that if God has, you know, people said if God orders it, God pays for it. It's a, it's a promise of provision. And so many times as a leadership team and as, as a staff, we've reminded ourselves that if this is God's dream, why would we think that he would abandon us halfway? Abandon his own dreams. He's faithful throughout the generations, our God. And so if God has given you a dream, why do you think he'll just drop you halfway and go, okay, well, it was fun for a while, but now it's over. No, God is faithful. So when he gives us a dream, he gives us a statement of intent, and he gives us a promise of provision, which is also a declaration of future blessing. God declares, I will bless you. Whatever God wants to do through your life as much sacrifice as it might require, as much change as it might require, as much discomfort as it might be along the way, I promise you, you will be more blessed than what you can even begin to think right now. Blessed in ways that you don't even know that you will be blessed. This is what God is going to do through your life, and so the price is not even worthy, and, and, and Paul writes about this in Romans 8 where he says that, that the future glory that is to be revealed, our current uh, 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 tribulations and trials and, and, and sufferings are not even worthy of being compared to the glory that is to be revealed. Whatever you're going through right now in the pursuit of your dream personally and for us as a church, whatever we're going through, I promise you, it is not even worthy of comparison to the glory that God will reveal. How many of you believe that God is going to reveal His glory in your life? that he's going to reveal his glory in this church, that people are not going to stand one day and go, oh, well, it's because you know, they have a great pastor or it's because they have a great eldership or it's because they have a... They're not going to look at us. They will see God do something so supernatural that they'll, in fact, say the opposite. It's like, we know Adrian, and that's definitely not in Adrian's ability to do something like that. That is a move of God. What we want is a move of God, not just a monument to man. We want God to do something supernatural and so... We have to declare and trust in. Um, when, you, when you pray, uh, praying isn't like trying to wrestle something out of God's hands. When we pray for the future, it's not because God is reluctant. It's because we're declaring our dependence. It's a declaration of dependence where we say, God, we need you. If you don't come and do this, we, we don't have the capacity without you. And the more we become dependent upon him in the pursuit of our dreams, the more realistic those dreams become. Because he's the one who spoke all things into being. And if he can create this world out of his heart and, and, uh, and, and out of his ability and capacity, how small a thing is it for God to do something supernatural in and through our lives? We need to believe that it is a declaration of future ble blessing and finally an invitation to participate. It's not, it's, it's not going to be something that we can be passive about. It's not something that we sit back and just say, okay, well... God has a dream, that's great. We'll come to church again next Sunday and hopefully it'll be good. It's actually something that we all step up to and are able to, to be involved with. And God allows us to be a part of the story. He births these dreams in our hearts and gives us a glimpse or a picture 
of the future, a glimpse and a picture of eternity, that, that there is something, a current that, that runs so much deeper. I love the, the old uh, uh, explanation or definition um, of the purpose of art, you know, all forms of art. I remember reading in, in my studies about the old definition of art was, was the attempt to describe or to, or to give a, uh, an illustration of the divine. That even though you might look at outside and you might see some plants and some trees and, and a blue sky, that, that there is a way to depict that that actually tries to say there's something more than, than what we see there. We see that, but we see something in that. We see something beyond that. And C.S. Lewis writes about beauty in this way, and he says we have this desire not just to see beauty, but actually to enter into it and to be a part of it. And for it. We, we, we want to enter because there's, this, there's this, almost like this calling out, this crying out from eternity that we see through God's creation. And it refreshes our souls when we realize that we're plugged into an, something eternal, something so much greater and so much deeper. It's why when, you know, how many of you, when you want to go on holiday and you just feel like you need a rest and you need to be refreshed, how many of you go, like, Google the, the, the place with the most concrete possible and then you, you, you know, you go to, like, a concrete, just concrete in every direction and you sit up like a deck chair, and you just lie surround. How many of you want to be surrounded by concrete in order to be refreshed? We don't want to go to man-made places when we want to be refreshed. The Scripture tells us that the glory of God is seen in creation, and all of us, when we want to be refreshed, or when we really want to connect to God, or we really want to pray, we want to go to a garden, we want to go to a beautiful place, we want to sit by a river, and we can feel that there's something more here. Isn't it amazing that we as people are refreshed around God's creation? And we're drained by man-made things. And so God wants us to tap into not just man-made strategy which drains our energy, but a flow of something supernatural and deeper that He has for us in this life. Something eternal. Something eternal that He has. Our purpose, this greater sense of living, purpose and destiny, things that aren't related to earthly things but have eternal impact. And it's a longing that all of us have. We taste eternity. We long for it. We dream about it. I remember reading um, a poem in school. Um, and the poem was about uh, when you go to a hotel and in the hotel they often, you know, if you go to certain hotels, they don't do it that much anymore, but in the old days, you'd go to a hotel, and if you opened up the drawer, there would be a Bible inside of the, of the hotel door, normally a Gideon's Bible. I don't know why they, they reckon the people in hotels really need Jesus. It's like, we don't know why you're here, but you need Jesus. Here you go, and so there was always a Bible in there, and, and I remember the poem was about how somebody took a Bible and wrote inside on the front page, John was here. And the poem was all about why somebody would write they were here. First of all, nobody knows who John is, and I doubt anybody cares who John is that stayed in the hotel room, and why would he put his name in the Bible? And, 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 and what it essentially came down to, this whole poem was about we all have a longing for eternity. We want to know that we matter. We want to know that our lives are a part of something greater. We have, we have a desire for immortality, to outlive ourselves. And so people would say, I, I just want to make a mark, even if that mark means writing my name in a, in a Bible somewhere that after I die, somebody can pick it up. And this is the reason why so many people pursue things, why they run after things. They want to matter. They want their lives to count. And they think, if I can build a big organization, or if I can get famous, or if I can do something nobody's ever done before, my name will go down in the history books, and I will be remembered. At the end of the day, we want to be remembered. And uh, there's this pursuit of to, to outlive yourself that so many people go on because we all long for eternity. We all long to be remembered. In the movie, uh, I can't actually remember, I think the movie was called Achilles, or if it was Hercules or Achilles or whatever, but you know the one with Brad Pitt in a miniskirt where he is Achilles? <laughs> that leather Troy, that's the one, that's the one. The movie Troy. See, when I said that, everybody knew what movie I was talking about. But in the movie Troy, you've got Achilles, um, Brad Pitt, in the leather miniskirt. And at one point, there's this massive champion, this giant that comes out to fight uh, against the army. And, 
and uh, a young boy runs to go and find, uh, to, to find Achilles, who's the greatest warrior, and, um, and the young boy says, you know, you, there's, there's this massive giant, and you've got to come and fight him. And Achilles says to him, you know, why, won't, why, why, don't, why don't you fight him? He's like, I can't fight him. I would, I would die. I'm too small. I can't do it. And Achilles says to him, that's why no one will remember your name. And you realize that, that, that so many people are like Achilles in that they are longing for, and every fight they fight is a fight to be remembered. It's a fight to matter. It's a fight for, for something greater. But the truth is, is that in this world, all will be forgotten. It doesn't matter what we achieve and how many trophies we get and how many awards we get and how many accolades and how many books our names go into. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, all of that will be forgotten. It's not going to matter. It doesn't matter in perpetuity. That's why I love Luke 23 verse 39 where it tells us about Jesus on the cross, the grace of God. Jesus is hanging on the cross in Luke 23 39 and it says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you and I are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me. You see, there's that longing again. Like, Jesus, I've wasted my life. I... I haven't, uh, you know, lived a great life. I haven't fulfilled my potential. I haven't followed God's best for me. I haven't, I haven't been faithful. I haven't been truthful. I've, I've dishonored. I've walked in, in things that are, that are evil, and I know it. I've wasted my life. But I'm just asking you, Jesus, if you could just remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him saying, Truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. When I, real, when I read this, I realized that there is only one place where your name can be recorded, where it will never be taken away. A book that will never fade, a place that, it will, that the ink will never fade out for all of eternity. And that is the Lamb's Book of Life. It's the one place where we step into eternity and we are seated in heavenly places with Jesus. We are seated alongside the, the, the host of, of heaven's angels. We, we stand in eternity the moment we give our lives to Jesus and we don't need to be remembered by this world because we will be remembered in heaven. And our deeds are no longer fruitless deeds of trying to get ahead in life and make something of our lives, but our deeds become recorded and there is a reward that we receive in heaven. Do we understand the privilege of the opportunity before us that we get to live lives where what you do for God literally stores up treasure in heaven. Literally, where moth and rust cannot destroy an eternal reward for what we do. We have the opportunity to live for something greater, to honor God and to make a difference and to receive a reward. And even though that opportunity is before us, the devil's best trick is to get us so preoccupied within one day with what car am I driving and how am I going to get ahead in life and what investments am I making. And those are all great things, you know, and you should give some time to that. But where's your focus? What are you living for? Are you pursuing the dream? Or are you pursuing a dream that's been put in front of you by every marketing company in this world, where they've just turned you into a money-making resource. Oh, we need to make money. Okay, let's put this in front of them, and then they can give us their money. We'll make them develop needs that they never had before. We'll tell them that you're nothing unless you have that, and then they'll give us their money, and then we'll all be rich. The world, you've been, we've been allowing the world to give us our dreams rather than living the dream that God has, has uh, designed for us. So there's only one place where our deeds and our pursuits will, will be eternal, and that's in heaven. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has set eternity in man's heart. And what the devil wants is to steal that eternal perspective and give us a temporary one. Get us focused on temporary things, things that don't matter and take up all of our time and our attention so that we will be so preoccupied 
that we no longer have anything left to give in terms of what genuinely matters in, in, in eternity. And, and that's why, for so many, life just feels empty. Because they're spending their souls on things that don't matter and have no eternal impact. But when we see Jesus, when we see Him on the cross, when we understand that we've been crucified with Christ, when we understand that He has given us this new life, all of a sudden we get eternal perspective. And what does Jesus say? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you know that, that today, here on earth, even though you're sitting in a chair here in four ways, that you can be in paradise? In the sense that you can begin living out eternity today. You don't need to wait until you get to heaven before you live out eternity. You're living it today. God has already given you everlasting life. And you can begin living a life of eternity today with how you live and what you pursue and what your, what your, your glimpse of eternity is, what, how that drives you. This, is a, this causes a radical shift in our identity and in our perspective, and, um, and it's what wakes you up in the morning. When, when, when you have realized that you are right now a child of God, that you are called, that you are gifted, that God has pursued you for a purpose, I promise you it's not your alarm clock that wakes you up in the morning anymore. It's the call of God on your life. And even those mornings, because I have some mornings where I wake up and I just feel tired and drained, like all of us do at times. And you know what I say to myself? I wake up and I say, let's go change the world. It's just, it's just God has called us to something greater. It doesn't matter how I feel. It's just keep taking one step after the next. It's a, it's a passion that is created by the call of God, and then you become, you become activated to pursuing God's dream for your life. And God wants to activate you in your calling. He wants to activate you in your calling. He wants us to believe in who we are. He wants us to see ourselves as something different, something new that He has created. Never underestimate the new creation that you are in Jesus. You are not just a normal person. You are not just a... You are, we all might be flawed and imperfect, but you're not just flawed and imperfect. You are the righteousness of God by your faith in Christ Jesus. And we've got to change the way we see ourselves. And so um, I just love the story of Abraham and Abraham's life and how God called Abraham and led him through some difficult times over many decades. And in Genesis 12, verse 1 to 4, it says, that, it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Now all of that to me sounds like comfort. All of that to me sounds like that's home base. How many of you know there's nothing more comfortable than just going home, kicking off your shoes and being yourself? And especially if you've grown up in a city and you've grown up in a certain place and you've got your family there, you've got your people there, you've got your friends there, you know the, the, the streets, you know the places to go, you, mean, you know this place. But then the call of God comes. And it says to you, I want you to leave your father's house. I want, to leave, want you to leave your home country. I want you to leave your kindred. And I want you to go to a land that I will show you. And then comes the promise of God. I, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. Remember, it's a promise. It's a declaration of future blessing. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. See, there's always purpose. If God causes any greatness in our lives, it's to give Him glory. It's, it, there's purpose to it. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's a promise of protection there and a promise of a future blessing. So Abram went as the Lord told him. He went. That's the point. You've got to get up. You've got to go. You've got to do something. You've got to obey. You've got to listen. You've got to, you've got to act. And we see that as God calls Abram, in the process of him walking out that journey, God changes his name. From Abram to Abraham. It might seem like a small change when you're writing it down, but it was a complete 180 when it came to Abraham's life. Because the word Abraham means father of many nations. And so God takes Abraham and turns him into Abraham. It's a change of, of identity. No longer Abraham of the Chaldeans, but Abraham, the father of nations. The first thing we need to do if we're going to pursue our dreams, 
is to see ourselves differently. To see ourselves differently. How many of you have ever, have ever um, gotten up in the morning and, and uh, walked over to the bathroom and looked at yourself in the bathroom mirror and thought to yourself, dear God, is that what I look like? Have you, how many of you have like, Jesus, I need help. If anybody saw me like this, they'd never listen to my preaching again. Never take me seriously again. Or when you're taking a photo of something and you accidentally switch to front view camera and you're like, and you're like why do people even love me? Why do they even hang out around me? This is what I look like. And the, promise, the, the problem is, is that for us as people, when it comes to pursuing our dreams, one of the reasons that we don't is because we're so focused on what we look like in the bathroom mirror rather than looking at the mirror of God's Word. You see, the mirror of God's Word tells you who you really are. A lot of people say that God's Word is a mirror because it tells you everything that's wrong with you. That's not true. In the Old Testament with the law, it involved an element of that. But actually, what the mirror is, it's about showing you who you really are. That's why the book of James says that anybody who looks in the mirror, anybody that sins, that lives and misses the mark with God's calling, they look into the mirror, and when they walk away, if, if they go and sin, it's like somebody who instantly forgot what they look like. In other words, sin is like spiritual amnesia because it's not who you are. And so when you forget who you are and when you forget what you look like and you forget that you're the new creation and you forget that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you'll go and live something different. And so we look into the Word not to see all the things that are wrong with us, but to see everything that Christ has caused us to become. And so we need to look into that mirror. That's why you need to read your Bible. You won't know who you are without it. You'll make up your own version of yourself and it'll be dictated to you once again by what this world says your rating or your ranking is. What your capacity is, what your potential is, what your future looks like. And you will, if you don't go back to the Word, you will settle for that. It's the devil's greatest plan. Just keep them mediocre. No big dreams. Don't, don't rock the boat. Just get through your life and then be done with it. But God wants to inspire you through His Word and work on the inside of you by showing you who you really are. So don't judge yourself according to the bathroom mirror. Rather look at the mirror of God's Word so that you can be, see how God, has, how God sees you. You know, when, when the angel appeared to Gideon in the winepress, Gideon was the least, the lowest member in the smallest family in the least of all of the tribes of Israel. In other words, there was literally nobody lower than Gideon in all of Israel. Millions of people, and he's like, even the Bible's like, he was the least. But the angel appears to Gideon in the wine press and says, Gideon, man of valor. You see, the way that God sees you is not the way that you see yourself. And we need to pick up God's view and perspective of us as the new creation and I'll tell you what, you'll start experiencing victory in your life in areas that you never thought you would have victory because you have settled for something less than God's best because you've counted, you've looked at your own self and said, I don't have what it takes to be better. But God sees you as a man of valor, a woman of valor, somebody so much greater. Jeremiah comes to God in the beginning of Jeremiah and he says, God, I can't speak. I'm just a youth who will listen to me. And God says to him, do, do not say, I cannot speak. But go where I tell you to go and speak when I tell you to speak. Don't look at your age. Don't look at your capacity. Don't look at your experience. Don't look at, 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 at the areas that you fail. Don't weigh yourself according to your own perspective. If you're going to pursue God's dream, if we're going to be activated, we have to see ourselves as different. Some of us struggle because we still sin, because we still battle with certain areas of sin in our lives. And so we go, until I have overcome that sin, I'll be able to be used by God. And so, so many people come to me, well, I still struggle and I'm not perfect yet, so I'm not going to get involved. And I love Isaiah 6, verse 1 to 8. I'm going to read it to you quickly because there's just something so beautiful in this. It says, in the year that King Isaiah died, this is Isaiah having this vision, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe, which represents his glory, filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, which are a type of angel. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook 
at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, just pause there for a moment. What happens here is Isaiah is taken into the throne room of God. And in an instant, God's glory is revealed to him. And there's angels, and they're crying out, Holy, holy, holy. And, and the foundations of the place is shaken by the glory of God. And the whole house is filled with smoke. And in that moment, Isaiah realizes what a lot of us realize when we experience the glory and the call of God. I am not worthy. I am a sinner. I have done things wrong. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst unclean people. And so his, his sinfulness becomes apparent to him, and he says, I will be destroyed in this place. I cannot stand in the glory, in, in the presence of God, and the glory of God, without being completely undone by my sin. But then something happens. It says, Then one of the seraphim, one of the angels, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth. Remember, I'm a man of unclean lips. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin is atoned for. The price has been paid. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am send me. You see, the first step in you taking and pursuing the dream of God in your life is for you to realize that your sin has been atoned for. That you have been cleansed of all unrighteousness. That God, through His Son Jesus, has paid the price for all of our sins and set us up to be able to stand in His presence. That was the purpose of the, of the atonement. That was the purpose of the cross. So that we could have fellowship with our God and boldly go before the throne. How can we relate to a God that we're still scared of because we're, because we're still viewing, viewing ourselves as sinners? So don't let your sin count yourself out. Understand that through the cross of Jesus Christ and the finished work, your sin has been declared null and void. It's gone. It's paid. The price has been paid. There is now therefore no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what happens when you realize that that's true? When you realize that that's true, and you hear the call of God, who shall we send and, and, and who shall we go? Now, God is not stupid. He knew Isaiah was there listening. It's almost like a rhetorical question. <laughs> oh, he's here. We brought him here. I mean, we brought him here. Who, who do you think we could send now? Now that he's been cleansed, now that he's been... Who, who should we send? Who will go? But all of a sudden, Isaiah finds his voice. And he says, here I am, you can send me. You see, there's a confidence and a boldness and a, and a courage that comes from knowing that you are a, your sin has been atoned for, that you are the righteousness of God by your faith in Christ Jesus. What do you believe about who you are? What do you believe about who you are? So Abraham goes. He leaves his comfort behind. God calls him. And when God calls us, we need to choose faith over fear. When God calls us, we need to choose faith over fear. It's an active decision, and sometimes you need to keep making it every day because there will be new opportunities to be afraid. But when God calls you and you know that you've heard his voice and you've answered and you've put your hand up and you said, here I am, send me, every day we make a choice to choose faith over fear, to choose our trust in Jesus and his faithfulness over our own fears and, and shortcomings. We leave our comfort behind and we commit to the next step because God says, there is a land that I will show you. You see, you don't even have to find it on your own. He's the one that will lead you into it. God knows the destination he has for us and we just need to obey his voice. If the first thing is knowing who you are, the second point is step out in faith. Step out if you know who you are. Obey the voice of God and and, and do what he calls you. He will empower your response. There's grace for the journey, but there is a journey. And what happens to Abraham is that he leaves his hometown, and then he goes on this journey, and it doesn't always look like the way that he expected it to look like. How many of you know when you follow God's path, 
it never looks the way that you expected it to look. And we keep feeling tension there. We keep feeling frustration because we're like, no, I thought it was going to be like this because we had preconceived ideas of what the journey and God blessing us and being a father of nations, etc., etc., looked like. So we get frustrated because we've set our own parameters to God's dreams. And when it looks different, we don't know what to do. But when God takes us on a journey, which He will, He has to. It's not instant. Otherwise, you're not genuinely a part of it. It has to be a journey, and when God takes us on that journey, the miracle isn't what God is going to do through you. The miracle is what God does inside of you before He does that thing through you. And that's more glorious than anything, any result that can come. The miracle of Anchor Church won't be the thousands of people that we will be able to reach in the future. The miracle will be that God would cause us to become the kind of people that could reach thousands of people. And that as people join, they also are shaped and changed and molded by God's goodness. God is doing something in us. He's enlarging our capacity. He's developing your character. He's deepening your faith. And on that journey, unfortunately, is where many people fall off the wagon. They, they get disillusioned. They lose their perspective. They settle for something less than God's best. And even Abraham struggled. In, in Genesis 15, which is only like three chapters in Genesis later than, than the dream that God gave uh, Abraham, uh, where he called him out and he said, I'll make you a father of many nations. And just three chapters later, but according to most scholars, this, we're looking at 15 to 20 years later. And remember, the promise was that he would have a son and be a father of many nations. So if, you know, 20 years later, you still don't have a kid, you're like, okay, I'm a little disillusioned right now. You know, I got this great promise. I left my country. I went when God told me, and, and uh, I saw his goodness, but I still have no son. And so in Genesis 15, uh, verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, or Abraham. I am your shield, God says. Your reward shall be very great, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? Can you imagine just saying to the Creator, okay, what are you going to give me? Seriously. For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Totally disillusioned at this point. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about, God. I mean, seriously, you made promises like 20 years ago. I'm still waiting. You see, there was a journey. Lord, what will you give me? Such a lack of perspective. He's judging in the natural because he's going, I'm an, I'm an old man now already. It says that, I think um, it, it writes about how, how Abraham was in his 70s when God called him. And now it's like 15, 20 years later, he's like, listen, childbearing days are over. You know, it's, it's not going to be happening. My, I'm old, my wife is old. And so Abraham actually does what a lot of us do. He tries to rework God's plan. He tries to make it happen in his own strength. And at one point, he uh, and, and, and his wife arranges this. He has a child with his servant in order to just, because his wife's old. And they, so he has a child with his servant. And she gives birth to Ishmael. But it wasn't God's promise. The promise was in Isaac, not in Ishmael. And when you read later on in the Bible with the nation of Israel, when they came against the Canaanites and the Philistines and, and, uh, and, and all of those tribes in that uh, Middle Eastern area that made life hell for Israel, it was the descendants of Ishmael. You see, when we do things in our own strength in order to try and make God's plan happen in our own strength, and in the flesh, it will always contend with the promise of God. We don't want anything to contend with God's promise. We want to rest in His promise and wait on Him to fulfill it. Not making plans in our own strength. Human wisdom will always contend with the dream of God. And there's a reason why God delayed, and, and it might be the reason why God has delayed in your life the promise that He's made. It's the same reason why he takes us on the journey. It's the same reason why uh, the pursuit of a godly dream will never be easy. And that's because God had a vision for Abraham's life and for yours. And that vision was that God made him a promise. But God didn't just want Abraham to be a father. He wanted him to be the father of faith. So much greater and more eternal. Not just a father, not just a natural son, but the father of faith. And if Abraham was never placed in a position where he needed faith, he would just have been a father and not the father of faith. 
Not the one who, whose faith was accounted to him as righteousness. You see, God will put you in a position where he doesn't just want you to have the thing that you dream about. He wants you to walk in faith and be developed in faith and then have the thing that you've dreamed about. Abraham could not be the father of faith if he never had any problems, if there was no delay. And so there cannot be a testimony in your life unless you've gone through a test. There cannot be a miracle in your life unless there was a mountain. There can be no breakthrough if there was no obstacle to break through. And so the next time you are facing an impossible situation, I want to invite you to praise God for that situation. Because how would you see the miraculous unless your situation was impossible? How would you see it? You have front row seats. Whenever you face a difficult situation, you have front row seats to a move of God, to the faithfulness of God. And it is going to bless you more than you know. In Genesis 15, verse 4, and I'm almost done, it says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. So God responds. And you know what God does is he takes, he takes Abraham out of his tent. When Abraham was hearing God's voice, he was still inside of his tent. And so many of us, when we hear the, the, the voice of God and the promise of God, we are in our, inside of our tents. We're looking at the four walls of our tent, the four walls of our dwelling, our circumstances, our situation. And we say, oh God, what will you give me? Look at my situation. And we never know how we're going to get there from here. But what God says, it says, The Lord of the Word came to him and said, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. God brings Abraham outside. Come, come, Abraham. I'm not exactly sure how. Maybe he took him by the hand. Maybe it was like a wind that blew him. Maybe, I don't know what. But, like, but God brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. That powerful. I don't want you to look at your circumstances. I want to bring you outside and I want you to fix your eyes on the promise again. The stars in heaven. That's my promise. When we lose perspective, we need to put our eyes back on the promise. Back on the faithfulness of God. And it says, and he believed the Lord, faith over fear, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is when Abraham became the father of faith. So my third point is that we need to keep our eyes on the promise. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to keep our eyes on God's faithfulness. Abraham says to God a few moments later, he says, okay, uh, he, God says to him, I'm going to bring you into a land to possess it. And, 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 and Abraham says, how will I know? How will I know if I'm possessing it? How will I know if I've made it? How, do, how will I know if, if, if I've reached it? What's the, what's the guarantee? And God says, I want you to go and get some heifers for the sacrifice. And I want you to cut them in half, which was the ancient way of cutting covenant. And God passes in an, in an eternal uh, form, in that figure of eight. He passes through those pieces, and he cuts covenant with Abraham. In other words, God says that, that I make a covenant with you. And that is the guarantee. Do you know that we all have a covenant with God? God doesn't have a loose relationship with you. When you put your faith in Jesus, it's not like a weekend relationship. It's not like every now and again you hang out for a coffee. It's not like something that God is frivolous about. When you put your faith in Jesus, He cut covenant with you in the blood of His own Son, Jesus Christ. Do you think that matters to God? So when He makes a promise... Do you think he's like, well, if I get around to it, I'll do it? No, the scriptures say that in Jesus, every promise is yes and amen. It shall be so. So we can take confidence that our guarantee that we will possess the land that God has given us is that he has a covenant with us. And he is a God who is faithful to his covenant, no matter what. So our faith is not in what we can do, but in the covenant that we have with a faithful God. And that's why we are not to be afraid. We are not to be afraid. We are to pursue our dreams. Step out and trust in the Lord. Trust in your covenant that you have with Him. When the master, the parable that Jesus told of the master who gave 
uh, coins to the three servants, and one got ten coins, one got five, or one got five, one got two, one got one coin, and, uh, or three and one, and he sent them out. And the one with five, he put his money to work, and he earned five more. And the one with three earned three more. And then the one with one, he actually says this. When the master comes back, all he did was bury it in the ground. And when the master comes back and says, what, what did you do with what I put in your hand? How did you invest it? How did you employ it? How did you put it to work? He says this. He says, I was afraid. And so I hid it. God does not want us to be afraid. He wants us to employ what he has put in our hands, to use what he has given us. Don't bury your gift. Don't bury your resources. Don't allow the world to dictate how you spend your money and your time and your virtue. Matthew 6.19 says, Do not lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. These were the words of Jesus. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I was always confused. I thought maybe the, the guy who wrote it down um, you know, got it the wrong way around. Surely he meant that you know, where, where, your, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. How many of you have wanted to switch that? Where, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. It's not what the scripture says. Jesus says, where you make a decision to put your treasure, your heart will follow. So if you're sitting here today and you're like, yeah, you know, I, 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 I love church and I think it's a good thing and I'll attend, but you put no treasure forward. You don't, you don't put anything on the line. You don't risk your heart. You don't risk your time. You don't wake up early. You don't join the team. You don't serve anywhere. You don't give financially, which is, has a real hold on our heart. I promise you, you won't care about this place. You won't care until you give. But the moment you say, this is precious to me, it's a treasure to me. I know money is scarce for all of us. I know that, you know, the, just the petrol price is enough to bankrupt us right now. But when you go, you know what? My treasure is to be a part of God's kingdom, to make something happen, to see lives changed. If I really believe that, I'm going to put forward some of my treasure. Guess what will happen? your heart will be connected to it. You'll walk in here differently every single Sunday. You'll worship differently every single Sunday because where your treasure goes, your heart will go also. And if your treasure is in heaven, if your treasure is in the kingdom of God, if you put sacrifice forward, like David said, I will not offer my God a sacrifice that cost me nothing. When you do that, you'll see there'll be a shift in your heart for the nations, in your heart for our city, in your heart for the church and what God wants to do. So I want to encourage you, don't be blinded and tricked into living for this world. Have a heavenly perspective. Put your treasure and your heart will follow. If you make God's kingdom your treasure, your heart will be there. And so in pursuing this dream that God has given us together as a church, I want to encourage you to lean in, to take steps of faith. You might say, oh, that's... I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I have the time. I don't know if I have the money. I don't know if I have the virtue. I don't know. Just take a step and see what God will do. His supernatural provision is there for all of us. And if we do this together, we will not only pursue, but we will realize every dream that God has for this place and for our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's just go ahead and pray together this morning.